Our first reading this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 9, and that's found on page 265 of your church Bibles. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him in honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Good morning. Our second Bible reading is uh, from the New Testament, from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection in the, of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you. My name is Nick. I'm your pastor here at 10 a.m. We're going to be hanging out in 2 Samuel 9, so if you've got your Bibles, you want to keep that open. Everyone longs to be loved. Everyone. Everyone longs to be loved. Biology testifies to it. Psychology testifies to it. Sociology testifies to it. It's not a debate. Everyone longs to be loved. The question is, why? Let me suggest to you that the God who made all things and who made humans and crafted us by speaking in power, crafted us to be a people who would know His love, the unconditional, overwhelming love that sustains our souls. We're looking for it everywhere we can find it in the world, but we were made for God, the God who is love Himself, not loving, the God who is love, as 1 John says. Have you ever heard of a guy called B.B. Warfield? He's a theologian pastor from the 20th century, and he got married to a, a woman named Annie, and they had a beautiful wedding ceremony, and they went out on their honeymoon. During the honeymoon, they found themselves in the middle of a, a significant storm. It was just pounding down. And Annie suffered a trauma to her nervous system that was so significant that she was an invalid for the rest of her life. Now, B.B. Warfield dedicated 39 years of his marriage to caring for her, for loving her, for standing by her. It's said that he never actually left her side for more than two hours except for on one occasion in 39 years. And in that one time that he left, it was because he was going to try and find something to alleviate her suffering. He was committed to her. And because he was committed to her, he dedicated his ministry less to being out and about and pastoring, but to writing. And to this day, his works are still treasured and and read and used to help people know Jesus better. God used that moment. And I think that is a picture of the love that we're all searching for. We want someone who will see us in our mess and say, I will stick by you no matter what. We're searching for it in all sorts of places, but we were made for God and He is the only one who can give it to us. The problem is, some of us don't think we're worthy. Some of us know our imperfections better than we know our own name. Some of us have pasts that are filled with shame, and there's just a sense that no one could ever love me and I don't deserve it. Can I just say, if that's you, that is not true. God made you to be loved. But even if you're not in that position, if you, if you spend a moment contemplating God, the infinite one who saw every thought you've ever had, those thoughts that you never thought anyone would know about, who saw those things that you did in secret that you're hoping will never come to the light, when you contemplate a God who in all of his power and all of his holiness sees that, it's, not, it's hard to not feel unworthy. It's hard to not feel like we have no place to go. We're going to shake a little. We're going to feel a bit unsettled. And this is where this passage is so beautiful because the grace of God is incredible. The grace of God is incredible. It's true. You aren't worthy. I'm not worthy. We cannot stand in the presence of the living God because we are fallen and broken and sinful. And yet the grace of God says, I love you anyway. Matt Chandler says, love says this, I've seen the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. 
That is the love of God for us. And the grace of God, it just shines out of this passage. Despite the fact that this passage is an amazing practical joke from God to all Bible readers and preachers and kids talk people, you have to say Mephibosheth over and over again. Mephibosheth. Jess, you did great. Laura, you did great. Jess, awesome with the Mephibosheth. It's good. If, if you want to try and say it now, just go for it. Mephibosheth. 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 If I stuff it up, that's fine. So keep your Bibles open. Let's, let's marvel at the grace of God in this beautiful passage. Verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you remember 1 Samuel 20, we looked at it a few weeks back, where David and Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was the king at the time, were best friends and they made a covenant with each other. Not just a set of promises. It's not just like, hey, we're going to be friends forever. It's a closest thing we've got to a covenant is a marriage. It's a commitment to one another. There is a deep, unconditional, I will love you. But Jonathan died. And presumably this agreement that they came to was in private. No one heard it. No one saw it. And so David, now that he's become the king, receiving all the riches and wealth of of the country that he now lords over, he very easily could have forgotten Jonathan. He's dead. No one knew about it. We'll move on. I think a lot of us are like that. When we make a commitment, but no one actually knows that we've made it, when it gets a little bit hard, we're unwilling to to actually step in and do it. Not David. He shows integrity. Integrity. This is what godly, godly integrity looks like. It's doing what's right, even if you can get away with not doing it. It's speaking words and following through. And that's who God is. When He speaks and commits, you can trust Him. He's the God who doesn't lie. That's who we are called to be, a people of godly integrity. We get to verse 2, and it says, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at this guy's house. So King David brought him from this guy's house. Right? I want you to see in verse 3. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? He's wanting to show kindness to Jonathan's son, but he can say with confidence that he's actually showing God's kindness. Why? Because when we are a people who love with the love of the God who is the God of love, we are extending God's love to others. That's why we're called to be a people who aren't aren't lords and masters. We serve, we give, because that's who our God is for us. And so David here is offering God's kindness by loving this man, Mephibosheth. But you get to verse 3b, and he's introduced to us. This is a son of Jonathan who's lame in both feet. If you've been reading along, he's actually already introduced to us in the story, 2 Samuel 4. He comes to our attention because it's the chapter where Jonathan dies. King Saul dead. Jonathan, dead. Mephibosheth, five years old. Lame in both feet. Lost his family. He knew that one day he would be king because Saul would pass it to Jonathan, would pass it to him. So he's a five-year-old processing the trauma of losing everything in his life while wrestling with how to live with a physical disability. This is a man who knows grief. This is a man who knows brokenness. And this is a man that God is showing his kindness to through David. You check out verse 6 with me. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. I love this. 
This man is physically impaired, and yet he still bows down before the king. He shows respect. He shows honor. He could have played on the fact that he you know, can't do it because of his lameness, but instead he does it. Why? Because this is not a man that has been thrown into bitterness because of his suffering. He's not entitled because things were taken away from him and angry that he doesn't have what he needs. He has been humbled. More than that, he's been broken. He's been bro- so he bows down before the king. And you get to verse 7, and this is just amazing. David makes an incredible promise to him. He says, don't be afraid. Now, I can understand why this, this guy would be afraid, right? So, King Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. That means this guy was in line to become king, but David is the king. History would say if there's ever a rogue operator who people could rally behind and lift up to become the next king behind you, you just quietly murder him and bury him in the back, right? You don't let anyone get in your way to hold on to your kingship. Mephibosheth's been called and summoned by the king, brought into the room, literally brought in on a wheelie chair, and he's standing, well, sitting before the God, the king of, king, king of the whole land who has been there because his grandfather's dead. He's shaking. And David looks him in the eye and he says, do not be afraid. Isn't that beautiful? But more than that, he's not just there to not hurt him. He promises him this brilliant promises. He says, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, he restores the land of Saul. You know, it's, it's, I'd be stoked if someone restored, you know, a property in Sydney to me because it's a bit tricky to get into the market, right? So it's, it's pretty great to receive land, but it's so much more than that in this case. With the land comes with all of the um, agrarian things that are grown on this, um, this, this parcel of land, and that's an income. As they're growing the grapes and the wheat and whatever it might be, Mephibosheth is going to receive that back. So he's, he's being guaranteed an income when he's physically incapable of providing for himself and his family. He's being restored to status. He's a landowner. He's gentry. He's noble. He's being given wealth. The land is worth something. But more than that, this is an act of restoration. This man lost everything and descended into the bowels of brokenness. And David, God through David, is lifting him up and putting him back in his place. He's saying, I see you, I know you, and I love you. And then he gives him a place at the king's table. And it's not just about eating at this table forever and always having something to eat. You know, that's true. It's not just about having the best of the best. You, you believe the king is eating well, right? You know, if they do lobster in Israel, I'm not sure. Someone can fact check me later. He's eating lobster every night. Lobster on top of ribeye, on top of whatever you like, right? He's eating the best. And Mephibosheth is being guaranteed this kind of luxury for the rest of his life. But so much more than that, he's being elevated and honored before all. Everyone is seeing Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the enemy that he should have, honored before David. Have a look at verse 11. This is amazing, just that last line. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Enemy becomes friend, becomes son. Adopted into the king's family and honored. This is amazing. How does Mephibosheth respond? Check out verse 8. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me. That's strong, right? If, if someone, one of your friends says that to you, I'm a dead dog, I'm, I'm nothing. That should, alarm bells, come to the depression and anxiety seminar, right? Like that's, that's, this person has self-worth problems. They don't understand that they're made in the image of God and, and actually matter. He's, he's completely broken in himself. But so much more for him, 
They live in a society that's living under the Levitical law, the law that God gave them, and the goal was to be holy, to be clean, to be pure. And what is a mark of uncleanness? A dead dog. You would avoid a dead dog at all costs if you were a Jewish person because you'd have to purify yourself. He's not just approaching a dead dog. He is the dead dog. This is a man who thinks nothing of himself. But I want to tell you, if you are someone who struggles with self-worth, who feels like you're not worthy, here's a passage for you. God loves and delights in you. He cares so deeply for the people on the sidelines. He loves those who suffer under disability, who are wrestling with chronic illness, who are permanently injured, who are broken inside and people can't see and no one understands. God is for you. God loves you. God lifts those people up. He seats them at the table beside the king and makes sure that they are cared for forever. God loves you. But even if you're not someone who's suffering from any of those things, we are all acutely aware of our imperfection. We're, we're wrestling with stained past. We're still living with guilt and shame. If we're really honest with who we are, we don't think we should be loved like this. And God sees you, Mephibosheth of the world, and He says, I love you and I promise to be with you. So verse 9 to 13, He makes it happen. He summons Zeba, sends him off to go and make it all happen. We get to verse 13. And it says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. It's kind of a funny way to finish it, right? It's like, we already know that. You're just beating us around the head with the fact that this guy's got a disability. But I love that he finishes this story with that because he's putting right before us, he's at the king's table, but he's someone that you wouldn't expect to be there. That is the grace of God. God stoops down to you and to me as we are below his notice, or should be, and he lifts us up and seats us in honor and glory. I wonder if you've heard of kintsugi. Anyone? Kintsugi? You've probably seen it before. It's a Japanese form of art that takes broken crockery and pottery and takes those cracks and injects them with gold resin. Isn't that beautiful? I love this. I love this. It's a beautiful metaphor for what God does in us. They intentionally seek out the most fractured and broken things that they can find to turn it into a thing of beauty and restore it to its use and give it new life. This is you and me if you come to Jesus. You are cracked and flawed. There are things within you that, that are just deeply broken, and yet God takes His grace and just injects it into your life, and He starts to turn you around. You say, God, why would you love me? I'm just a dead dog. And yet, look, beauty, more beautiful than if you were never broken at all. God is doing something in your life, but you need to come to Jesus and receive it. He is there for you. Yes, you are broken. Yes, you are flawed. But come and receive all that God is offering you. I don't know your story. I don't know where you've come from, what you've been through. I don't know what you're wrestling with right now. But I can say with complete confidence, God's grace is for you. God's grace is for you. It's as simple as a yes. Yes, yes, David, I'll come to your table. Yes, Jesus, I'll come to your banquet. Yes, God, I want your salvation. It's a yes, that's all it is. Let me tell you about a few people that God has lifted up and seated at his table. Have you ever heard of John Newton? He's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. I'm sure you've heard of Amazing Grace. He is very famous for a lot of the ministry that he did, the hymns that he wrote, Amazing Grace being one of them. But I'm not sure if you know that he, well, actually, one of the most thing, important things he did was be a part of um, um, abolishing slavery. 
It was a really important work that he championed. But not many people know he was a slaver himself. At 18, he got pressed into the Navy. And then when he did his time and could get out, he decided, you know what? I think there's a bit of money to be had in in trading humans, right? So he said, what did he say? He said, slave trade is an easy and creditable way of life. That's pretty terrible. And yet, in one of these expeditions on the ship in the middle of the ocean, a storm hits. And he's just, as we do when we hit crisis, just starts throwing up some prayers. God, if you get me out of this, I'm yours. I'll change my life. I'll do it. God got him out of it miraculously. He set foot on dry land and he turned his life around, not because he did anything, but because he received the grace of God. And so he writes, amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. There's Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of your New Testament. What's he famous for prior to becoming a Christian? Murdering believers, trying to dismantle the church stone by stone, person by person. He made it his life work to try and remove Jesus from the world. And yet on that Damascus road as he's going, Jesus blinds him with his glory and reveals that you were actually made by me and for me. And what happens? He receives the grace of God and immediately in Damascus starts preaching the gospel because the grace of God transformed that man. I think of a camp that I used to lead on when I just graduated from school called Rock, spelled W-R-O-K, I'm not sure why, but it is. It's a camp for kids with disabilities, and it's this beautiful community of people with all sorts of intellectual and physical disabilities, some of them who can barely speak, but all who speak with great clarity, God loves me and He's my best friend. It's not about being impressive. It's not about being a good person. All it is is saying, yes, Jesus, I receive you. Whether you're John Newton, whether you're a kid on rock, the grace of God is for you. God's grace is incredible. In that second reading, Jesus tells a parable about the wedding feast, and it's a a picture of heaven, eternity to come when we'll be with God. And he sends out these invitations, and the first three people all make up excuses for why they can't come, and they're pretty rubbish excuses. The last one's like, I just got married. Just bring your wife, dude. Come on. It's like saying, oh, I can't come. I've got to go water my fish. No, you can come, all right? But they say no because they don't want to be there. And so what happens is he sends the invitation out to the nobodies of the world, to the people living in obscurity, to the people who are just commoners. They get to come into the seat to sit with the king's table. They're given a place of honor. They're brought into the banquet. That is the picture of eternity. The invitation is in your hands. The question is, will you say yes? Will you say yes to God's grace? And we like to do this as a church regularly throughout the year, just give you an actual moment to respond to the grace of God. Jesus says when he begins his ministry in Mark 1.15, the time has come. There is no better time than today to respond to Jesus. He says the kingdom of God has come near. God is before you, beckoning you forward, inviting you in. The kingdom of God is near. So what do you do? He says, repent and believe the good news. Repent. It's, at its basic, it's just a U-turn, turning away from life without God, a, a rebellion against God, and turning back towards Him and saying, yes, and believe the good news. It's simply just saying, Jesus, you died for me, so I don't have to, and I want your forgiveness. I want your life. 
Believing that is that Jesus died, and when he had his hands stretched out like this with nails through his hands, it wasn't the nails that were holding him there. It was his love as he beckons you forward to gather you into an embrace. It's the truth that when Jesus died, so did all of the terrible things in your past. You're a new person. Your sin has been dealt with. You've been completely forgiven. Believing in Jesus dying on the cross is that your life is new from this day forward. You might have walked into this building as a a rebellious sinner or someone wrestling in life. You can walk out these doors as a child of God. All you've got to do is turn to Him. Romans 10.13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. So if today is the day for you to repent and to believe in the good news of Jesus, I'm just going to say a really simple prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. It's really simple. It's, it's sorry, thank you, and please. Anyone can do it. Um, if you agree with me, I'd love you to say amen at the end. Um, But this is for all of us, anyone who's received the grace of God. This prayer is just the, the heart of what we do. So let's just take a moment, just take 10 seconds to just steady yourself, and then I'll pray this prayer. Dear God, sorry that I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. And if there is anything you need to ask God's forgiveness for, you can do that right now, just quietly in your own heart. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. If you've just prayed that prayer, I'd love you to say amen. If you agree, I'd love you to say amen. Amen. If you've just prayed that prayer for the first time, God promises that He's heard you. It says in Scripture that God and the angels rejoice over a single sinner who is saved and comes back to Him. He is celebrating you right now. So I just want to say we love that you have made that decision. We want to welcome you into the family of God. We want to see you grow into the person that God has made you to be. We'd also have a gift that we'd like to give you that will help you on your journey. So please, let me know if you are that person. I'd love to help you on your journey with Jesus. But for the rest of us and for you as well, we've got these cards here just to make it a bit tangible. Um, You might want to grab one here. There's a few different options. The first one is just as we've talked about, I've accepted Jesus' invitation and become a disciple today. Maybe you're not sure yet. Maybe you're still wrestling. Maybe you're still thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be a believer? Who is Jesus? I'd love to invite you to one of our Explore courses. Rowena mentioned Alpha before. It's such a great opportunity. Just tick that box. We'll get you connected. If you're just visiting, feel free to tick that. If you're a believer and you haven't yet been baptized and shown that 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 grace has taken over your life, we'd love for that to be you. Perhaps you'd like to share your testimony and, and, and encourage us with what God's done in your life. Otherwise, maybe God's stirring something in your heart today and you want to commit to following Him in a certain way. Fill that out so we can be praying for you and walking it with you. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes. The band's going to come up and they're just going to play a bit in the background. Just fill these out and then the bags will come back around so you can put your cards in there um, and then we're going to keep singing. So let's take a couple of minutes to fill these out.